So at this point, we have to address an important issue that we really can't get around anymore as far as looking at the news and dealing with a lot of different political issues. And there's a lot of different facets to our life here in America. Carry on doing our, our work and our business. We have to try to like, save a personal savings. We have to try to elect a government that won't ruin us in our tax bracket, whatever that happens to be. And so we have various interests in America that don't always obviously work together. So a democratic republic is really an amazing thing, but it puts a lot of responsibility and burden on the people to be fully informed. So that's what we're trying to achieve here. We're trying to be fully informed. And sometimes it's, it's not enough just to watch the dialectic news media as it just presents two totally different deranged ways of looking at a, a news topic, a, a way of looking at a news topic that deranges the public as much as possible so that it's the, the, the issue that we're discussing becomes political instrument of division and causes political animosity and infighting between factions. And that's really ultimately what we're looking at is the news media is there just to create factionalism and to entrench these contrary narratives so that everywhere I go, people are refusing to wear the mask or they're dutifully wearing it everywhere in a ridiculous way. So now the mask has become a political instrument, of, a, a symbol of power over your mind. And so if you wear it because you've been listening to a news media that's amping up the hysteria over the, the dangers of COVID-19. And so far beyond being just a conscientious person trying to stay healthy, now you've made it, a, you know, you, you militarized the concept of wearing the mask. I see people wearing it in their car, they wear it everywhere, and they're even trying to deride people that won't wear it. And so all the logic of, you know, well, I'm standing by myself alone. I'm not six feet near anyone. Why should I be imposed with, with other people's weird Nazi policing of the mask? But that's what we're dealing with. News media is subjectively enters into our collective psyche and proceeds to create a ruinous mess out of our relationship with ourselves and the world around us. And so it's easy to get the rabble roused, to get a little mob of angry peasants with their pitchforks to go and, and crucify a random person, let's say, or burn down the village, or you know, just to seize on the most debased and least informed and most troubled in society to affect political outcome against your target. You know, it's kind of what happened in Benghazi. We're kind of like switching around, but I remember Hillary Benghazi, it seems like she she made sure that those people got left alone so long in the firefight they were killed because it reminds me of do you want to go back to Waco how there was a couple of men who were sent to Waco as as law enforcement or FBI who had previously served the Clintons and they were they were uh, you know they had they knew information about the Clintons you have to look this up this is going way back but yeah out there David Koresh in Camp Waco or whatever it was at the compound a bunch of those guys that got killed out there were federal agents that the Clintons hated so they're just the things like that ultimately they're trying trying to find a way to bury their past and the lies. And I think that's why we saw the FBI come out so clumsily and, and so dangerously against the Trump administration. It's because the deep state couldn't afford to lose power. And it looks like that those who are coming in with the Trump administration knew very well that the deep state had to hide and where the bodies were buried and where the Epstein pedophile islands were. And it doesn't surprise me at all. And I talked to my some of my compatriots, and we discuss how how well informed you have Jared Kushner up there in the family, and even Melania Trump. I mean, what what she has spent her entire life in that world, in the the fashion industry, being top rated supermodel, and in the fashion world, and she must know a lot about people who are struggling from drug addiction. And that was one of the main platforms that they came out. They wanted to do to, to attack and, and get rid of these pill mills and these all these doctors and pharmacies who are who are 
were selling all these hydrocodone and pain pills and they, and they really obliterated that drug industry. And in other ways, they would have knowledge about how things work in the world of those who don't have to do jail time or face justice or pay their taxes and they can, the elite, the global class, the top 0.001%. I mean, if you're in America, you're in the top 1% in the world. Sorry to tell you. And that's why these globalists love to promote this idea among these young Marxist radicals that we have to eat the rich because in America, everyone is rich. Everyone is doing great. If you're in America, you have a chance to write the next big movie or create the next awesome infomercial, the next sham wow, and make the next million, $10 million fortune in this country every day, all day long. So you have these morons out there stipulating this concept that you would have top 1% should have to pay the taxes and f feed the rest of the world. And they ignorantly don't understand that on a globalist level, America and really the North, the North American continent, including Canada, Mexico, I mean, we are really the top one. And other people around the world have to wake up in the morning by the billion and go out and milk a goat for breakfast and to feed their children. And each night they have to go to bed in huts and they need to use a stick to bang out any cobras or snakes or scorpions that might have crawled in their bedding area while they're working hard for throughout the day. That, that's the life most people in Bangladesh and all across the face of the world. And we have to understand that in America, we are the top 1%. But $20 an hour workers out here are not the ones ultimately that are in control of the policy making in Washington. And, you know, Nancy Pelosi is worth $100 million. And Obama, they used to make a couple hundred Gs a year, the Obamas, and now they come out and they're worth $1.5 billion or whatever with 10 homes. So this corruption racket, it's underhanded. I mean, I'm sure that it's so dizzyingly complex that you can't find a way to, like, find out who's paying who or where the money goes. But God help anyone that has to go in there in Washington, D.C., and be an honest man. So what, I'm, what we need to really focus on at this point is really the thing that matters most in America is liberty and justice for all. And we already have Joe Biden going in there to say that he'll put in people that will go after our guns. No one can go after our guns. It's the a, it's a, it's a Second Amendment. And it's the Constitution that creates the office of the presidency and the vice president. And the, the office of the vice president and the presidency and the offices of the, of the executive officers, they don't have the power since they're established by the Constitution to unmake the Constitution, which establishes their power. So it's really just a dangerous thing to think that this man, this degenerate old man, is thinking he will step into the office and somehow liberate us from our gun rights. I don't know who he's going to send out to take all of our guns. Maybe it'll be the United Nations. Maybe, you know, maybe they'll invite Chinese inspectors in to make sure that we comply. I mean, they're already working with the communists with Bernie Sanders. So this is a deadly serious game that we're playing here. At the center of all this is the question of American justice. And the question of American justice circles only one outstanding dilemma that we're facing. That is with the FBI. The FBI, the whole top floor of their seventh floor has been cleaned out, people who quit and got fired because they tried to run a coup against the incoming president of the United States and Trump, whether you like him or not, you're not allowed, you're not allowed to do that. No one's been arrested. No one has been really, from what I know, there's still people working at the FBI that, from what I understand, Christopher Wray, the director of the FBI, took one of the people that are implicated in this investigation that was working with Comey and Peter Strzok and all them, and he elevated her to run a whole district office in the FBI. So she didn't get fired. She got elevated. So what is wrong with Christopher Wray? How is he still carrying on placing... He was really in cahoots with Rod Rosenstein, right? And he was really friends with Jim Comey, and James Comey needs to go to prison. He needs to go to prison. 
I'm a normal guy. I work for a living. If I if I do any of the things that these people did, I would go to prison for the rest of my life. That that's the problem we're having here. It's a problem of justice. So while the FBI is still trying to play its weird strategy game against the president of the United States, we have to recognize that the FBI was created by an executive order of the president of the United States. So I don't know how they even get off trying to, to, to use their investigative powers against the executive authority that created it as a bureau. I don't see the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms trying to run down the president and place, you know, political apparatchiks who are against the president in higher offices. So we've, we've already been through the entire Trump presidency and we just now liberated the Southern District of New York from that, that fucking idiot up there who has has been trying to pro- get at Trump records. I mean, it, it's that's what they say, deep state. It's, it's a connectivity of conspirators within the federal bureaucracy, senior executive service, SCS members, who, who being more closely aligned with federal officers within the actual establishment of the government, have protections. And this protection, this federal protection club of the federal government thinks that it can't be held accountable. So in my most, my concern is, is that the FBI needs to step back. It needs to step back from operating in a way that it thinks that it can decide on a political level who it's going to prosecute and who it isn't. The underlying basis for the reasoning of having an FBI has been called in, into question. So in the memes on the internet, I hear it called FBI lie. The FBI lie. That's that, that's the graffiti being spray painted on the internet wall now about about this bureau. There was and so Christopher Ray doesn't restore any integrity to the, to the to the entire apparatus. This endangers cases. This endangers justice within America when the people people like me, average people, regular people running for the president of the United States like Trump cannot trust the, the one of the major law enforcement bodies in our country. And we had to sit there and watch under the Trump presidency as these out of control provocateurs within the FBI rode out and arrested Roger Stone. No, no one needed to do arrest him. He did that guy. That all those trumped up charges and then having CNN out there so they could film it. That That's how the deep state operates. That's how they're going to operate against you and your family. That's how they'll clear out entire cities. They just destroyed the entire, a, a trillion dollars worth of real estate and economic value out of New York City. A trillion dollars in six months just to try to wag the dog in order to try to control the pop and try to manipulate and scare us as a populace into doing what they want. How many dozens of people have died because of all this chaos? We're talking about COVID-19 insanity. People are, are have become so twisted that they're mentally ill over their concerns about this irrational fears of COVID-19. It's just another flu year. Every year, every other year during a flu cycle, it gets dangerous. People have to t- take care of their health. This has become an insanity, an outbreak of madness and hysteria that's just swept the country I and mean, we we're really just victims of it because we're just we're just little people we really don't have all the information we have to work for a living we, we only have a couple hours a day to pay attention to this this non-stop 24-hour deluge of madness and propaganda and spin so that the media is far more than the enemy of the people it's an apparatus of total deception at every level it's so vile so as we're moving forward with being a free people in america we can no longer trust that the law enforcement agencies and the people around us are the people in our city councils the mayors who we elected to serve our interests as a people who, who had all these beautiful socialist platitudes that were supposed to make everything just rosy and rainbow colored and beautiful for the world and, and they're just here to just burn this place down. And that was the legacy of Obama. That was the legacy of the Democrats that they gave us. They worked really hard to make sure that all their pieces were in place and when they couldn't win
win the election because the American people were against them. They decided that they would find a way to try to run this country into the ground. And, and you can see what they had planned for this place. And all their, their energies and all their martial troops and all their communist, Antifa, BLM, neo-Marxist, street rabble that they had marshaled together through the college campuses. And it's all just falling apart for them. They tried their best. They're trying to, they're gonna go into 72, 73 day, nights of, of just trying to abuse the police officers in Portland. I think they thought that they would engage the federal government in huge, dramatic showdown of shooting and, and bloodshed, and they would create this huge situation, but they really just are a bunch of drug-induced crackhead hippies out there, and they're really, and it's funny because they're e easily able to round these people up by their devices. They're out there filming everything with their devices. They're trying to contact each other on various apps, but the, the broad power of the federal government to read, listen in, and, and monitor people's devices in this time of an emergency is unparalleled. None of us are going to do a single thing or go a single place without even the companies, Google and, the, and, and Facebook and Twitter to knowing exactly where we're going, why we're probably going there. And they're sending us ads the whole time, suggesting other things that we could do on our way. So you have to recognize that in this time of unprecedented change, a technotronic age of neo-Marxist, limp-wristed rioters, window breakers, they think they fancy themselves to be tough, Bolshevik, you know, world changers. I mean, I guess the Bolsheviks just put a couple hundred million bodies in a hole. That was really all they did. But these pansies out here, they really can't get it done. And they're really just making an empowering a room for the radical nationalists. And I don't mean just people who are interested in, in having, we're talking about capital N nationalists, not lowercase n. I'm a lowercase N nationalist. I want, to, I, want, I want America to do great. I don't want it to be destroyed. But capital N nationalists have an interest in connecting with other nationalists for the cause of their white race. And all, you know, the, the racists are empowered by BLM and Antifa. Not disempowered, not fighting racism. They're ensuring that 100,000 new white people in America have nowhere else to turn. They're forcing them into reactionary, right wing radicalism. People might say white wing. And I don't think that's what America has fought for. I don't think since 1807, since France was freeing its slaves well ahead of our civil war, I think Americans and abolitionists have been conscientious about the needs of native peoples dislocated by slavery all over the world, no matter what their skin color was. Even the practice of indentured servitude for people who went bankrupt in Europe. If you had bankruptcy, you were you were indentured slave. Seven years. See if you could survive it. If you could survive it, you could maybe start over and try to try again. Seven years of being an indentured servant, though, was just slavery. So Christopher Ray up at the FBI, he really needs to go. It's time for him to go. He has no business being there. I, I have no idea what he's been up to, but I don't trust the FBI. You shouldn't either. We don't need a partisan political hack group up at the FBI. We have pedophile islands being discovered. We need the evidence and the charges and the facts of all that stuff to come out. We don't need deep state comrades, buddies, old buddies with Comey and Obama to be in there influencing the direction of these investigations. I'm at this point willing to see after Trump wins, maybe a third Trump presidency. Why not? Because I mean, that happened under Roosevelt. This entire first presidency was completely wasted on casuistry and playing out lies and propaganda wars, psychological operations against the American people. How many hundreds of, how many thousands of people died because they couldn't get hydroxychloroquine? I mean, why do I even know the name of that? It's been so, they've, they've tried so hard to make you not know about it that everyone knows that it's the cure and it's what people are like Dr. Fauci are taking so they don't get sick. It's what Obama was taking before he was the president. He, he had prescriptions. Of, I mean, he's been to Africa. He has prescriptions of hydroxychloroquine. Obama did. That's just the way it is. It's what people take. But you're so ignorant that, you, you know, people out there wearing the mask, you know, believe it'll poison you. And they just, they're just spun out by the madness of the media. It's really sickening and it's tragic because you're informed by the, 
these news outlets. And as a result, they spread their kind of neurotic hysteria and spread it into people's thought life. And it ruins their lives. It ruins their day. It makes them paranoid. It makes them afraid. It makes them you know, doubt what's happening, what their eyes see. They're just lies. The deception is so entirely unified. And this wall of discord that is being spread across Twitter, the news media, everywhere, becomes sickening. And it becomes an illness within the minds of the mass psyche of the, all the people. But that's what you're seeing. And these neo-Marxist radicals are taking full advantage of it. And they intend to make sure that we cannot go back to an orderly society the way we were. So I got to ask, why are we dealing with an FBI that we can't trust? How do I know that people aren't going to hear this criticism of the FBI and come and try to look me up and take me out? I mean, they did it to the president. They did it to all of his supporters, people in his staff. They just made up reasons out of whole cloth, completely lied and falsified documents all through the NSA and through the FISA courts. And this tyranny of injustice is just stance. And so whenever FBI agents come around to try to investigate us as American citizens, we're supposed to trust that we're, we're safe, that, that, they're, that they're safe arbiters of the truth, and they'll write down, document correctly. I mean, look how the FBI has been trying actively to make sure Hillary Clinton doesn't face justice. How many people at the FBI have been to Epstein's pedophile island? Let's ask the question. Has Obama been there? Has, has Obama been a customer of Epstein on his island or somewhere else or in his new Manhattan mansion? We know Prince uh, Andrew or whatever, whoever that weird freak is the, from the royals he was there so so biden he loves to pinch and kind of kiss on and yank little girls it's disgusting you have to go look on the internet creepy uncle joe he's a pervert so he he's he's not connected with epstein they're fighting for their lives they're fighting for their very existence because the american people is about to learn that they're disgusting monsters and that that, that we are all there's people in prison right now who have been held to the standard of law and justice in this country while all these other perverts child molesters corrupt thieves of the treasury these deep state maniacs i mean we we could call them illuminati but it, it just doesn't it, it injustice to the highly ordered and dangerous system of the Illuminati. These deep state clowns are really just perverted clowns. And once it's once princes and the the, uh, the, the royalty has been impl implicated in all this, then you're going to see the truth that the powers of Europe, their, the perverted nature of their debased appetites has been something that we have been trying to kick off for centuries, ever since the Hessians were mass raping every American female they could find. We went through this history already about how the, the elector of Hesse, which is elector of Hesse is just a fancy nobleman. He's a fancy nobleman. He's a prince of the prince of the elector of Hesse. He got all indebted and in, into the money money market schemes of the European market with Rothschild. And one of the ways they wanted the King of England to, to, to profit from the King of England and to help him beat down the colonists and the, and the heretics and the rebels in the colonies was simply to have these Hessians go and terrorize the countryside. And that's what caused the revolution. It wasn't taxation without representation. It was a bunch of men who had their their homes burned, their families raped to death, and their sons made to watch and butchered and all kinds kinds of unnameable things were done to make these men hate Britain and hate the king. And so these same people, these same principles, just a few centuries under the same family lines, just a few centuries later, are in play now, desperately trying to defend themselves. I mean, I think they're the ones who took out Kennedy, really shouldn't have had that open limousine. And so now we have Trump in the same boat where he said that he has made some very rich and powerful people angry and he'll be going away for a while. They're going to have to keep his security tight. And really the Christopher Ray, I think they just left him in place just to play out, just to follow what he does, to see who contacts him, to see what kind of moves he 
makes. And to take that woman who had been an, an Obama appointee or whatever she was and had been working so hard with Comey to try to set up the president and to, and to set all these false charges into motion, when he elevated her, it really showed that he's just a black hat. So what we need to focus on here is how do we as a people deal with a corrupt FBI agency? They're duly appointed law enforcement officers. I'm sure that most of their cases and most of the things that they're doing are benefiting the American people and the American society. But in the back, there hasn't been a clearing of these people that are partisan operators who not only wanted to take out the president, but they tried to forcefully overthrow the election of the sovereign will of the people of the United States because they know better. These are the same people that are trying to support Hillary Clinton, Biden, Obama, Biden, this network of perverted Epstein Island goers. They don't care about that. They don't seem to have any interest in that accountability at all. They just want to play the political game for their own political reasons. And, and that's all that, all that matters. And these are Democrat FBI agents. Can you imagine the Democrat party who was the Confederacy who fought to hold slaves against the Republican Abraham Lincoln? The Democrats who were uh, John Wilkes Booth and hit the assassins who killed Abraham Lincoln? They were Democrats. The Democrat party who helped to create the KKK? Those are Democrats. And now today's Democrats want to make sure that the food stamp rolls are ballooning. That they make sure that they're trying to create a socialist state where it's 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 a cradle to grave nanny state that just pays people for not working. That's today's Democrat Party. And then we have Democrat Party apparatchiks within the FBI as investigators here to, to punish crime and wrongdoing and to uphold the law. It's a non sequitur. It's not possible for us to allow this. It's contemptuous. And it shows a two-tiered double standard of justice, which is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. So in order to further make this point, I have a little clip here. Let's play it and let's take a listen to what Senator John Kennedy thinks. The, was the uh, Steele dossier uh, critically important to the FISA applications? Yes, it was. The Steele dossier was junk, wasn't it? And the Steele dossier had it. When you say junk, I don't really know how to describe that. Um, what did you think about it? You thought it was true? You think it's true? Senator, there's information that was in the dossier that certainly is called into question now. They haven't been at the Department well, no, of Justice. Well, no, <laughs> Joining us now is Senator Kennedy asking those questions of uh, Sally Yates. Senator, uh, at least you had somebody to admit it was played an important role because every time James Comey is asked about the dossier, I don't really know. John Brennan, yeah, I don't really know. We didn't really need it. Uh, it didn't really play a big role. They tried to dismiss it. At least she admitted it. Yes. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Comey. I, I mean, I think it's becoming clearer that Comey um, was the hurricane. He crossed by a hurricane. He, he, he bungled everything he touched and worse. Brian, here's what I think the evidence shows. Uh, the FBI is the premier law enforcement agency in all of human history. But unfortunately, there were a handful of FBI agents and people at the Department of Justice who acted on their antipathy for, for uh, Donald Trump to try to do everything they could to earn his chances to be president of the United States once he was elected to try to get in his way. And they got caught. And they need to be held accountable. What did you learn from her, though? When, what did you learn from her? From her, I learned, I learned that uh, she didn't want to answer the questions. She wouldn't even admit that uh, neither the president nor anyone associated with his campaign had been found to be a violation of law or, or, or found to be colluding with the Russians. That's the Mueller report. She wouldn't even admit that that's true. Uh, she wouldn't even admit, really, I had to drag it out of her, that the Steele dossier was, was junk, which everybody with a brain above a single-cell organism knows. Um, she wouldn't admit that she was grossly negligent 
for signing off on all the warrants against Carter Page without even asking about the Steele dossier. She, she didn't even say, hey, wait a minute, you, you're asking me to, to allow you to wiretap a presidential campaign operative and advisor. Can I at least see who this guy Steele is? If she even looked, she would have seen he was a total jellyhead. His source was a was a was an American who picked up some rumors from drinking with his friends. I mean, you couldn't. This this is strange with infection. You couldn't make this stuff up. So the subsource that you're referring to was a guy who spent limited time, believe it or not, in the Ukraine and knew some Russians, but he mostly worked for the Brookings Institute and spent his life in America. That was the elite Russian source that provided Christopher Steele with this information that was commissioned to him by the DNC and the Hillary Clinton campaign. And one thing we never bring up, Christopher Steele testified that he he was under the impression that Hillary Clinton knew everything that was going on. She said she didn't know any of this. But Fusion GPS hires Christopher Steele to do this investigation. He ferries it out to a Russian subsource who happens to be in America working for the Brookings Institute. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing, all along, I've assumed that Steele had somebody in yeah. Russia that he was talking to. No, his, his source, the basis for all this, was a junior leaguer uh, who was working at the Brookings Institute. He was friends with Dr. Fiona Hill. Uh, when the FBI finally got around to talking to him, he said, "Yeah, I told Steele that I, you know that this stuff I, I didn't get it from any kind of political network. I got it from my social network, and I, you know, I'm not sure it's true." And what I was asking uh, uh, Counselor Yates yesterday, you signed off on to, on spying on on a on a president of the United States, and you didn't even ask. Who this steel guy was, or who his source was? He didn't even ask. And she said, "Oh, I relied on the FBI agents." And these were the same handful of FBI agents uh, who we now know were determined to get Trump. So, Senator, let's take a look at the FISA process. It is up to the deal. It's up to the Justice Department to look over the application before they hand it over to a judge. So the Justice Department's rubber stamping it. Rod Rosenstein makes that clear, and Sally Yates backs that up. And then they hand it to a judge who's going on the premise that everything that's been handed to him or her is true. It turns out the application's got multiple flaws. It makes me think there's other applications also like this. And it's not Senator Kennedy of Louisiana saying that or Senator Lindsey Graham. It is the Horowitz, Inspector Gen Horowitz, the Inspector General, who was appointed by Barack Obama. So everybody's just rubber stamping that this is correct. Nobody stops and asks questions, which make, makes the whole process break down. Because when the judge gets this application, there's no one to go to bat for the source. So they have to trust. And they're showing us we can't trust. Well, they're showing us, Brian, that a handful of people at the FBI could not be trusted. I don't know whether they're still there or not. But they, these, these, these handful of people. They lied to a federal judge, not once, but several times. When, when I practice law, you know what would happen to me if I looked a federal judge in the, in the eye and just lied like a dog several times? I'd still be in jail. You know what happened to them, as best I can tell? Nothing. Zero. Nada. And that's what we're trying to get to the bottom of. I, I haven't heard from, from maybe FBI Director Ray has already taken steps. But if they are, I don't know what they are. 
He seems to be the majority is to defend people whether you like Trump or hate him. This, this is called the rule of law. If you can't trust the FBI and the Justice Department, who can you trust in America? So you asked Sally Yates, uh, what do you think of Trump? And was there people at the DOJ trying to stop him from becoming president? Cut 44. Isn't it true that there were a handful of people at the Department of Justice during the Obama administration that despised Donald Trump and did everything in their power to keep him from being president? I'm not aware of anyone at the Department of Justice doing anything to try to keep Donald Trump from becoming president. Were you part that of that group? Inconsistent. Were you, were you part of that group? No, and I, I'm not aware of anybody doing that. And that would not only surprise me, but shock me. Do you think? What do you do? You think she's being candid as she could right there, or do you think she's? You know, she was surprised when James Comey said, and the president were conversant on what was going on with Michael Flynn and what he was up to. She was evidently taking a guess, like, how does the president know this, and I don't. Well, she she either wasn't wasn't shooting a straight, or she just parachuted in from another planet. <laughs> I, I mean, I think I think among the senior leadership at the FBI and at the. Uh, the Department of Justice, this was all well done. I mean, all you got to do is read Peter Strzok's emails. Read Lisa Page's emails. Read the Horowitz report. Okay. Um, it, at first they said they hated Trump. And at first they said he'll never get elected. And then they started worrying, worrying that he was going to get elected, and they started doing everything they could to stop it. And then once he became president, they continued. Now, how, how high up did it go? We're trying to find that out. We know there was a meeting between and among uh, Yates and President Obama and Vice President Biden um, and uh, and Comey. Now, they're all pointing the finger at Comey. Now, I think Comey deserves a lot, a lot of the blame for this, but I don't think he was the only one. Senator John Kennedy's with us now. Senator, i got to bring it to the other area, and that is protecting Biden and Obama. And the one thing you get is a stop sign. Uh, you know, Peter Strzok said, these are the notes. There was Vice President Biden who brought up the Logan Act as a reason to go after Michael Flynn. She says, I never, you know, I don't know. It could have come up. I don't remember who said it. They, whoever you bring in front of your committee, they're, they're making sure that the buck stops before Biden and Obama. Do you agree? And it's going to be, Comey's going to be the bad guy. Not that he doesn't deserve it, but he's not in this alone, is he? Well, I, I don't believe he was in it alone. And all I want, Brian, is facts. Uh, that's all I want. Um, what I think Comey's going to try to do, if he ever shows up, I doubt he will. But I think he is. He and others are going to try to uh, say it was somebody under me, and the person under them is going to say it was somebody under me. And they want us to believe that it was some guy in the basement of the FBI wearing green eye shades who was responsible for all of this. And uh, you know, I didn't fall off the Rutabaga truck yesterday. I don't believe them. I think this was at the highest levels, and I think the evidence shows that. Y'all just read the Harwich report. Now, how, how did it go? I don't know. All I want are the facts. I don't, I don't hate anybody. I just, if, if, if an FBI agent knocks at your door and you've got to worry about whether he's a Republican or a Democrat, something's wrong. I agree. And these, these, these people have politicized the law enforcement process because of their hatred for Trump, and they've got to be called to account, in just, my opinion. Just remember, Louis Free was appointed by Bill Clinton, and he hunted, he, he investigated Bill Clinton like he never met him before. That was a different time. And that's the way it's supposed to work. Call them like you see them. A uh, couple of things. Who's next uh, for Senator Graham and you? Uh, who else do you want to see? And do you think it's significant that the reports out of the Washington Examiner say that Durham is set to interview John Brennan, 
experts say that means he's set to wrap things up. So first off, who's next with you? And then what do you think about the dorm, the, this news from the dorm investigation? Well, I haven't talked to Lindsay. I don't know what his plans are. He's the chairman. Uh, I'm ready to call in Mr. Comey and, and say, look, yeah, come testify. And if he doesn't testify, I'm ready to subpoena him. And we'll know pretty quickly if he just takes a fifth amendment the whole time, which I'm sure his, uh, his lawyers will tell you to do. I have no idea what's going on with Mr. Durham's investigation. Once again, he has a reputation of being a call it like he sees it person. I just want the facts. And uh, I, I believe the evidence shows so far, Brian, that uh, there, there, there really was a cancer at the, at the FBI and the Justice Department. I want to be sure that they're called to account. And at the very least, they're no longer there. I think we also need to hear from uh, the FBI director, the current FBI director, uh, Chris Ray, who I, who I think is a great guy. But, but it's time for Chris to come to the table and, and tell us what he's done to fix the problems over there. Yeah, the other thing that I think is important is, you know, Andrew Weissman, who really did all the work, and Robert Mueller was a figurehead, did all the investigation. Uh, and in the New York Times, he's basically saying uh, Justice Department officials, former Justice Department officials, do not show up. You have 90 days until the next election. Joe Biden will win. Start saying no when your committee tells them to show. How do you feel about that? Well, that wouldn't surprise me. I'm, I don't want to take with too broad a brush and say it's all of them, but I'm sure it's across the minds of some of them, and some of them are probably doing that. That's why God made subpoenas, and that's why Lindsay needs to just say, give them a reasonable amount of time, and then start, start subpoenaing them. And I'm I'm all for doing two or three of them a day. You know, I start at 7.30 in the morning and go into the night. I, I don't know why um, you're delaying so much. Must knock them out. Uh, I, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do it on a Saturday, do it on a Sunday. Uh, let's bring them all in. Uh, and uh, uh, there's no reason we have to limit it to a three or four hour hearing. Uh, let's settle up and ride. I'm ready. So we're going to stop it right there. You can see that Senator Kennedy is elucidating the dangers of hyper-partisan politics and the power plays of those who are in law enforcement, like in the FBI. And I don't know how or what kind of thinking, what kind of fanaticism was taking place there for them to think that they were just going to go ahead and use their political powers and their and their law enforcement powers within from within the FBI to go ahead and just arrange for Hillary Clinton just to get off scot-free for her crimes of manipulating computer components. I mean, they were really sure that their corruption was going to continue and that they were going to have Hillary elected and that they would have no problem continue to have their cover-up and tr maybe even try to send Donald Trump to prison. So can you imagine? Is the FBI a political organization so that it waits for an election that we surmise they are not actively undermining? FBI agents like Andy McCabe, James Comey, and Peter Strzok make us all have to question the institutional integrity of the FBI. Are they out there right now ensuring that, that the American people's will will be overturned and that they can control elections? Is that what the FBI is for? So let's Look at, listen to another clip here. We're getting into kind of the, the deeper end of the spectrum here of, of, of having to question authority and having to use our constitutional rights to question an agency that could be totally disintegrated and deleted off the uh, the federal rolls. We could just send all the FBI workers home with a pink slip and just, just defund the FBI. So that's what we're talking about here tonight. I mean, as it turns out, the FBI isn't really doing anything to help us with Antifa, is it? Are there good FBI agents out there working to support law and order? Or are they out there trying to find a way to elevate 
of eight people that were involved in the Comey conspiracy. I mean, they went along with the Mueller report. Really serious, like men who go to the serious law enforcement agents are going to go along with this political scandal every day for for what was it a year long? Was they're actually pretending like the Mueller report is a serious thing and their efforts to, to unseat this president? The FBI needs to call into question. Perhaps they just need to go on the ash, ash heap of history, and we need to create a, another investigative bureaucracy that's immune to this hyperpartisan bias. So let's listen to this other interesting report here at the X22 report. They have an interesting perspective on the whole issue. A little bit later. But first I wanted to talk about what happened with the spying. Remember Sally Yates? She testified. She pointed the finger at the FBI. And it's all starting to fall apart right now. Every single time there's more information that's declassified, it just falls apart for all of these individuals. And this is why Barr, Durham, the rest, they're prepared to go after these individuals. And remember, he can go after these individuals before the election. Why? Because they're not running for office. There is no rule in the Department of Justice that tells the Attorney General that he cannot go after these individuals. Yes, if one of these individuals were running for president, that might be a sticking point. But all these other individuals, he can go after. And I do believe this is why he said he has no intention to releasing it after the election. He can do it before, he can do it after. He doesn't care. I think he's going to do some of it before and a lot of it after, but we'll have to wait to see how that turns out. But what we've come to learn is is that the FBI, they lied to the Senate. Now, this is Jonathan Turley. He tweeted this out. The FBI briefing of the Senate Intelligence Committee was just declassified. It states that the subsource for Steele confirmed that the information was not fabricated in the report. By that point, the FBI knew the subsource ridiculed the report and the use of this information. The document at best is misleading by omission. At worst, it is untrue by design. The question is who was the briefer and who signed off on the briefing. By 2017, the FBI had already heard from both the CIA and the subsource that the Steele report was unreliable. By the time of this briefing, Congress was already looking at the allegations that the Steele dossier funding by the Clinton campaign was based on false information. That raises the question of whether Congress was given false information. There is no mention that the agents flagged the possible use of Steele by Russia intelligence to spread false information. It does not mention that in 2017 the information was discredited by both the subsource and investigators. This reaffirms the need for the Durham investigation. So the FBI Crossfire Hurricane team, they deliberately gave a false briefing to the Senate Intelligence Committee. Now think about that for a second. Because Lindsey Graham is out there and he says somebody needs to go to jail for this because the new documents are showing that the Senate was misled. So now the FBI's Crossfire Hurricane team has been found not only to lie and, and to admit key evidence, facts from the FISA court, they have also been caught lying to the Senate to keep the entire Russian collusion hoax going. Think about that for a second. Think about what they just did. And they're getting caught up in it. This is falling apart for the deep state. And then we had Stephen Schrage on Maria Bartiroma's show. And Schrage worked with the FBI, Stefan Halper, for years. 
He introduced Stefan Halpert to Carter Page back in 2016, while Halpert was spying on the Trump campaign. And Stephen said Halpert was not that engaged up to the point he crossed paths with Page and Christopher Steele's former MI6 boss, Sir Richard Dearlove. He said he was surprised that Stefan Halpert was making over a half a million dollars for writing reports for the government. He said that the key part, the real smoke gun, is this. All these tentacles relayed back to the small group, including Halpert and Spygate, Christopher Steele at the center of Russiagate, Halpert's FBI handler. None of the Senate has subpoenaed or called these people to talk in four years. I think that this is the real smoking gun. How are these people being protected? So I think he's asking the really pertinent question here that we all have to be focusing on. And it really goes back also, the, the, the wider scope of this whole thing goes back to William Binney. And he was one of the CIA chiefs back um, in the early 2000s. And he stepped down during the Obama administration. But he talked about the danger of having a cybernetic turnkey tyranny that could be used since they're, they're, they're huge crate computers and their databases are keeping track of every single digital interaction and every single transcript of every single receipt that you make of every debit card transaction, every email, every phone call. And as we're going into 5G networks, every single device that you have, including your smart TV, is going to begin to be a repository of metadata and information. And we can describe all kinds of things about your life, about when you wake up, when you go to sleep, what you do, what your habits are. And so from within this cyber prism into your life, it becomes obvious who you are and you become a quantifiable, measurable asset. And really at this point, we no one is really asking the, the really glaring question about how did Peter Strzok's emails and texts become so easily available? And if an FBI agent who is presumably on a mission, a secret mission from within the FBI to take down the President of the United States and to overturn an election and hide the criminality of Hillary Clinton and also carry out a secret love affair, if he has no reasonable expectation of privacy in all of his messages that he must have thought were secret and these manipulations all their transcripts, the John Podesta emails. I mean, it's obvious now that and, and recently with the Twitter accounts of Obama and everybody being hacked, I think it's obvious now that this level of power that William Binney was talking about is now really being used wide open. And they've been empowered, NSA and all the agencies have been empowered to to get to the bottom of what happened and to, to, re, to bring out all this information. And what it really presupposes is that if even the Obama Twitter account had been compromised for a long time, and even if, and since Strzok and Page had no reasonable expectation that their life of secrecy was really secret, it really tells us all now as a, as a signal bell that we are really being externalized within the network. All of our information can be had yeah, that's why it's so dangerous when these Antifa groups are willing to dox the uh, federal agents and dox anyone and just make them a target for their little hate minions to try to find and you know, to people you know, they can reach and that are being marked to uh, to be abused or to be uh, to be assaulted or have their homes burned while they sleep. I mean, these are the dangers that we're facing. So in order to really tighten this up about the Stefan Halper, Christopher Ray connection and, and how we really need to get to the bottom of this before it becomes dangerous. I mean, as Christopher Ray is still sitting in there, he's still ultimately a, an Obama Hillary apparatchik who really helped 
to make sure that their FBI got rid of her, you know, uh, acid, bleach bit and acid washed and destroyed all of her servers so we couldn't get 33,000 of her emails. Or, you know, there's really no telling. I mean, how, what are the Clintons' connection with Epstein and Pedophile Island? I mean, how do, are we going to be able to find out? I mean, are these, are these, do we have justice in America? That's really what we have to ask ourselves. So let's go to Chris Plant. And he has a really interesting take here, and we can't get around Chris Plant. So let's listen here also a great Lindsey Graham interview, it happens from time to time, uh, talking about the Russia Gate, the biggest political scandal in American history, which the news media is actively covering up on behalf of their party, the, the Dementia Party, the party of the, what are they, what are they called, the uh, Demo, uh, uh, Dementiacrats, that's what they're called, the Dementiacrats, and uh, now Joe Biden is their leader and their standard bearer, the Dementiacrats, uh, but there was a, uh, there were two remarkable interviews on the Maria Barto Romo show on the Fox News channel yesterday. The first with Lindsey Graham with uh, some new information on Russiagate and all that good stuff. And uh, the second one with another guest that most people had never heard of and I had never heard of him, Stephen Schrage, uh, S-C-H-R-A-G-E. And uh, he's a guy who, uh, boy, uh, it was a fascinating interview. He uh, he was in London with Stefan Halper when they were ambushing Trump campaign people and he wanted no part of it, but he was close to it and he saw the whole thing and he's been uh, co collaborating, working with John Durham and the Durham investigation and he came out yesterday and said that he had to go public because it's taking too damn long and he's certainly right about that. Speaking of which, Senator Ron Johnson, the Republican from the state of Wisconsin, announced this morning that they have subpoenaed the FBI and Christopher Ray. and Christopher Ray, uh, I've never liked the look on his face and more and more, there's just something about him that just doesn't seem, just seems like one of these play ball, go along to get along club, you know, country club government guys. And uh, and it's more and more looking like uh, my instincts will be borne out on Christopher Ray. Uh, he is not one of the good players in all of this. He came in late in the game as FBI director, and it turns out that he was playing cover up and hide the ball too. And uh, I got to tell you, a whole buttload of people need to go to penitentiaries before this thing is over. But Senator Johnson subpoenaed not Christopher Ray himself. The subpoena goes to the FBI director, Christopher Ray, but for uh, the the uh, documents having to do with Crossfire Hurricane. And I'm like, hey, uh, dudes, it's August of 2020, and you're just now subpoenaing the. FBI documents on Crossfire Hurricane. I, do you guys get the papers where you are? Do you, you've been following this thing at all, or uh, what's going on? But here we are, three and a half years into it, and they're, hey, maybe we should uh, look at the documents, because government oversight and all that good stuff. Uh, but it, nevertheless, it's uh, it, it, yeah, we'll take positive things where we can get them. And, uh, and boy, it just goes on and on. Uh, there are so many things to get to, I just want to start getting to them. So a lot of the essential questions about power and about the outcome of the truth and, and really whose ideological perspective is going to overcome here is really going to affect the outcome of a lot of these cases. And the American people cannot wait for justice. We cannot wait for the power elite to divide up our political liberties between the World Health Organization mandates about virus policies and the, uh, the Antifa siege of neo-Marxists across all, all these different U.S. cities. I mean, right now, Chicago is in flames with all the looting, the, the, the mindless lawlessness. This, there's, no, there's no longer any cause or reason. 
It's just become an instability of our entire system of laws because everyone knows that we're all going to get shot and put in jail and, and maced by the cops. And uh, people like Jim Comey and Hillary Clinton can run off to pedophile island and just do whatever they want and write books and make millions of dollars and just, you know, just stick our face right in it. And so we cannot afford to allow federal authority to become political weapon against the democratic institutions of this nation. Whole cities are so corrupted with this philosophy of deconstruction, fast becoming the neo-communist praxis. Mayors, city councils, and district attorneys become so fraught with hypocritical, inflammatory, militant, left-wing tactics, moving to hijack our law enforcement agencies, to ruin the cultures and the protections and, the, and even attack the civil liberties of our own police officers and our courthouses. And, you know, they're setting up these policies to ensure police, police officers are charged with crimes while the street rioters and the Antifa Marxists get to continue on with their demolition of American history and American culture and continue on night after night trying to burn down the courthouse. There is a blight, a stain of ideological fanaticism and partisan manipulation and, and crimes, criminal actions. Facts have been covered up. These are manipulation of different cases. Documents have been destroyed. They're hiding crimes, and they're trying to create crimes where there are none. And these are officials within the FBI, and then how are they holding their heads up straight? How are these people not being called into question? At 11 years, they had known about something going wrong with Epstein Island. There was investigations into Epstein 11 years, and it's just been a continuous cover-up. It's time for them to be called to account. It's time for them to come forward and answer these questions. It's time for, for Christopher Ray to step down so that we can have somebody come in there and restore a sense of order and a sense of integrity back into the, the most important law enforcement agency within the United States. I have an account with some of these online universities and some of these federal library databases like JSTOR and they give me like a lot of these interesting reports that I'm going to read to you right now. This one's by Steve Rossworm, R-O-S-S-W-U-R-M. The FBI and the Catholic Church between 1935 and 1962 and this is a, 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 a study done out of Amherst. University of Massachusetts Press, 2009. This is just a summary review of the report by Patrick J. McNamara, and that's somebody who should be who is familiar. And you can find that he was a very influential individual. And it says here that he went to St. Francis College in Brooklyn, New York, and of course that's going to be a Catholic university. And it goes like this. Scholars and commentators have long noted the strong affinity that existed be behind J. Edgar Hoover's Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Roman Catholic Church in the United States during the early Cold War. A relationship that had much to do, to do with shared anti-communism and the 1963 classic Beyond the Melting Pot, the late Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan famously observed that during the McCarthy era, as Harvard men were investigated for their alleged un-Americanism, it was the Fordham men who did the checking. This period is the subject of Steve Rossworm's new book. What enabled this mutually beneficial relationship, he suggests, was a convergence, but not a fusion, of values. While the communist issue was a major reason for Hoover's popularity with Catholics, there was also a shared commitment to what Rosworm calls 
gendered values, and institutional authority. That is to say, both were dedicated to preserving a patriarchal mode of leadership, and both saw religion as a strengthening that model. And both were dedicated to forming real men. During the FBI's early years, Hoover focused his recruiting efforts on white males from small towns of the Midwest and the South. But beginning in the 1940s, he expanded his efforts to Catholic colleges and universities in the Mid-Atlantic region and beyond. He met a positive reception. Fordham University President Robert Gannon, Society of Jesus, commented that, quote-unquote, the FBI and Fordham have the same ideas. Like the FBI, the Jesuits, known as the Pope's Marines, believed in forming disciplined men dedicated to serving and preserving the moral code. The University of Notre Dame, according to its president and future cardinal John F. O'Hare, was Notre Dame was a man's school that promoted red-blood Americanism, quote-unquote. Both schools would provide a large number of FBI personnel through the years. Hoover considered the Catholic Church, quote-unquote, the greatest protective influence in our nation today for both the Protestant director and his Catholic associates. Roseworm notes, secularism was the key to understanding all of America's problems. So we're going to move on to page 78. Hoover gave due attention to Catholic leaders who precipitated in kind. Although he did not cultivate close personal private relationships with any particular bishop, with the possible exception of Baltimore's Bishop Michael J. Curley, he cultivated a close association with them in regard to their shared public concerns. On the other side, the administration occasionally delved into hero worship. In 1953, for example, Archbishop Richard J. Cushing of Boston equated Hoover with quoting the Pope. Personal periodicals contributed to the cult of personality surrounding Hoover. Our Sunday visitor had an article, one of the most conservative American Catholic periodicals regularly reprinted his speeches, as did the Brooklyn Tablet. In time, some Catholic spokespersons would equate anti-FBI sentiments of expressions of anti-Catholic Catholicism. In other words, if Hoover, in other words, if Hoover wasn't actually Catholic, he should have been. Rossworm sheds new light on previously examined figures such as Father John Cronin and Monsignor Charles Owen Rice, both the subject of biographies. Cronin became famous for his 1945 report on domestic communism, which the U.S. bishops commissioned. Rossworm delineates the extent to which the FBI cooperated with Cronin in compiling information for the report and possibly even writing parts of it. He also re-examines the extent to which Rice, along a subject of Rossworm's, along a subject of Rossworm's scholarly interests, himself cooperated with the FBI during his years as a labor priest. In addition, the author brings attention to two other large, largely ignored facts. Edward Tam, Hoover's assistant at the Bureau, did much to cultivate Catholic connections in Chicago and elsewhere. Edward Conway, the Jesuit whose activities as informant helped purge leftist influence in the National Committee for Atomic Information during the Cold War, also receives 
significant attention here for the first time. The close relationship points to uncritical approach to the larger culture on the part of pre-conciliar Catholic leaders, many of whom assumed that the American way of life was inherently incapable of conflicting with their church's teachings. But a part of the ways, but a parting of the ways did occur in the 1960s when the church changed, but the FBI did not. During the late 1930s, Jesuits like Edmund A. Walsh, head of Georgetown's Foreign Service School, taught at the FBI's academy. Thirty years later, another Jesuit, Daniel Berrigan, was arrested by agents for anti-war activity. The latter event, it might be argued, signified a claiming of the Church's and the Society of Jesus's prophetic role. At the same time, Roseworm suggests, and not without merit, that the FBI-Catholic alliance against communism in, in some ways refigured the current Catholic Evangelical Alliance Against Abortion. At present, he concludes, a little discussion seems to be occurring within the ranks of the U.S. bishops, which regards the topics such as social justice and a greater emphasis, and a greater emphasis on sexual politics. This is particularly noteworthy with the 25th anniversary of the bishops' pastoral letter on the economy. So, we can go on and read more. It's, it's a very interesting writing here. But it's really pointing out that the Catholic Church has an interest in operating within the chamber of the intelligence agencies. So they're no—they're not just a religious organization; they're really a political power. And like I said here, they—they're more interested in social justice causes than dealing with things like abortion. And these closed ties between the FBI and the Roman Catholic Church have to be called into question now that we're dealing with the outbreak of radicalism, neo-fascism, and neo-communism. And, and like we like we just said, within two pages of this report, this is like, you know, a historical treaty that's documenting these different relationships. And we just went into it just for a few minutes. And it already discusses how, on one side, the, the FBI agents were being taught by Jesuit agents like Edmund Walsh in the 30s. But within 30 years, there's FBI agents that are actively infiltrated within the leftist communist movement and who are out there throwing bombs and, and you know getting arrested for, for their communist activities by the FBI. So the, the point is, is that the FBI is there to uphold the law, but the Jesuit order is there to make sure that this country and all the countries around the world are submitted and subordinated to the temporal and spiritual power of the Pope in Rome. And if you haven't picked up on that yet, then you're just not paying attention to the real conflict that's, that's at play here. So I might just leave you in this episode with this. We, If you go and watch the movie with Johnny Depp called Black Mass, it's all about how a Boston gangster named Whitey Bulger got away with crimes for decades because of he was a Roman Catholic and he was friends with the FBI agents and the, and the federal agents who were also Roman Catholics. And they worked together. And that's what it was all about, how they worked together to make sure that their enemies got killed or put in prison, and they were the Roman Catholic elite. It didn't matter whether they were cops or robbers, they were in their own, within their own league. And this is another movie you might want to watch called The Departed, which is really the same exact scenario. It shows how young men who are altar boys grow up to become a really a criminal plot within federal agencies and within the criminal underworld. And they were all controlled by the same Roman religious institutions. All right, so that's it for this episode. We'll see you guys next time.